This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show, the award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. The Norris Group proudly presents our 16th annual award-winning event, I Survived Real Estate. Industry experts join Bruce Norris to discuss evolving industry trends, real estate bubbles, inflation, and opportunities emerging for real estate professionals. All proceeds from the event benefit Make-A-Wish and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We want to thank our platinum partners, Inland Empire Real Estate Investment Club, San Diego Creative Investors Association, White Feather Investments, Wilson Investment Properties, U-Direct IRA Services, MVT Productions, and Realty 411 Magazine. In 2006, the new builds went soaring, right? It was crazy high. And a lot of them... Say 2006. So after 2000 to 2006, there were about new builds, 1.9 million in the United States. Right, and a lot of them were being bought by investors who said right. they were going to live in the house. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> 50 hit the wrong box. Crowd Pardon that. me? They just checked the wrong box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at at that point, were were we overbuilt? Like we're talking about being underbuilt by a lot. Were nationally, were we overbuilt at that time? Really? That, okay, we were. Okay. The millennials weren't in the picture until 2015. Say that one more time. The millennials were not in the picture until okay. 2015. That's okay. when they moved into the demand curve. Okay. I mean, the other thing we saw that I think sometimes we were talking about this earlier in the demographics and stuff is you can have households are fairly flexible, right? So parents move in with children, children move in with parents, and we saw a lot of that, you know, saw five-bedroom homes in Stockton with one family in each bedroom in the crisis during the downturn, right? That reduces a lot of, of demand, and, you know, if, if one bedroom houses a family, you suddenly have a lot of supply. Right. So there is some flexibility there, you know, same thing in the pandemic where you had uh, families that needed to separate for medical reasons and stuff just for the safety of the family because somebody who's maybe in a medical profession coming home didn't want to, you know, get an elderly parent sick. So that, that number of households thing, it doesn't just follow demographics. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. You know, Bruce, you and I have talked about this before. The, the thing that interests me in, in the aspect of saying the millennials didn't come back until 15 uh, you know, when, when the, the market dropped in 08 and, and it went from 1.9 million, you know, single family permits being pulled in 06 to 08, there was like 420,000. Right. You know, by 15, when they started entering the market, when you look from a retail or a resale perspective, you know, the, those people coming in from an affordability, they're looking for that 10 year old product. There was no product to buy then. Because right. nothing had been built since '04, right. right? So there was nothing to buy because yeah. that wasn't there, you know. So it, it create it has created a lag over the last, you know, s- since that 13, 14 time period to where people are, are moving in and there and say, "Well, I don't want to buy new. Let me buy something that's five years old." Well, there was no five-year-old house, right. so it's created a lag over since since that time period. That's just really now starting to catch up on those permits. Well, how hard is it to catch up? 
I mean, you got uh, in California. Well, just national. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> now that you can build California, ADUs. not going to catch up. <laughs> Cornelius, we're not picking on you, buddy. But as a matter of fact, you should get paid a lot of money for your job. <laughs> you run into brick walls all day long. <laughs> but I'm serious. How hard is it to catch up? I mean, so your builder, like, so your national builder, so my gosh, we could build twice as many homes. Why? Why wouldn't they do that? Is it the land? Or the process, uh, or what? Well, me personally, I think there's an affordability aspect right now that, that is, you know, I know for a fact in, in the market space that we build, we price out about 52% of our market space that just can't afford the house right now. Uh, hence the rate, the, you know, the conversation we had about rate buy-downs, things like that. Um, but the, the basis of where you start is a big deal. And... Uh, that volatility of the land market has, okay. has moved a lot. The 52% number was, what, is that, what, what was that pointing out? That it takes 52% of their uh, income? No, no, no. That oh. we, we priced out 52% of the marketplace that, okay. that can't afford to buy our houses anymore. Can they afford to rent? Uh, that's the struggle right now as well. No, okay. That, 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 it is a real struggle. I mean, when you've got a, a $2,500 a month payment, and, and that's now taking... Even in Southwest Florida, that's taken 60 to 62 percent of your debt to income. That's, yeah, that's a that's not an affordable product. No, the, that's the how you... root, the roots of the supply problem of today were planted in 2007 to 2009. We went from building 2.2 million units to 400,000 mm -hmm. in one year, and we stayed there for three and a half years. Okay. So all everybody in that supply chain found a different job. Yep. So all the surveys of builders, wow. everyone said the same thing because they're all looking for the same thing to try to grow. Okay. And we lost years of apprentices learning that trade. Yep. That generation, that, of, like... That's actually a great point. I mean, trying to find trades right now, yeah. tr trying to find a truck driver that can actually drive a truck. <laughs> and literally we have people so apply to our trucking side of things that don't know how to drive a manual transmission okay and they've been to school and they're right. only being trained it's amazing the lack of the low skill that we have in our workforce now okay the generation right now that's the core i want to buy a house for the first time what age did they start that, and how different is that from, let's say, my generation, like, uh, you know, 30 years ago? The, the desire for buying a house was not as urgent, right? <laughs> well, so in um, 2010, there were all these stories that the millennials had learned the lesson of their parents, if you buy a house, you'll go into foreclosure and lose all your wealth. So they want to live in 300 square foot apartments with amenities. That's one of those headlines that I didn't believe. There was some fundamental shift in human behavior. Mm -hmm. So we surveyed them. And in, the, in June of 2010, in the first survey, 92% of millennials said they eventually want a home. But they understood what happened if you bought a house without an income. So the first thing they were looking for was a job. And that expansion was the most urban-centric post-World War II expansion. So if you're going to have a job, you're living in the inner city. And what they make there is 300-square-foot apartments, not single-family detached houses. So they were simply reflecting the structure of economics in their environment, which is first I got to have a job, then I got to get my credit in shape, then I got to save some money, I'm probably going to get partnered up, or as my mother says, benefit from clergy. 
Uh, old school, 20th century stuff. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and, and guess what? When all that stuff happened, they entered the demand curve, which was 2015. So we saw that coming in 2014. We put out a press release in November. I'll never forget we got all the phone calls. We said, supply is now the problem. Everybody's like, you are crazy. We just went through two million foreclosures. What are you talking about? So we went through the exercise, and since then, everybody's been talking about supply. So you, you feel that supply being short is, is, is going to be an ongoing thing, like you said, for 10 years? The boomers are locked in. The Gen Xers are locked in. It's on the back of the builders. You have a senior, so there's, let's say, a lot of seniors. There's a chart I've seen that how many houses get added to the mix when those people pass on? So we've got a survey that's probably gonna come out next week. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a little preview. We've surveyed uh, homeowners the age of 60 and older and asked them, how are you thinking about your house? Uh, they're thinking they're gonna stay there forever. They have no, no interest in reverse mortgages. They don't wanna borrow money against it. All this kind of, it, it, it will not surprise you the results that you will see, but I would not expect, other than death, that you're gonna get a flood of supply that comes in from the boomers. And by the way, they're gonna double in size over the next uh, 20 some years, in terms of share population. Yeah. <clears throat> the older population. We're kind of running out of time. I wanna ask Sean a question, but I'll, I'll ask the question I wanna ask everybody be, to, to apply to. Thanks. Um, before I ask Sean. So the last question for everybody to respond to is what's the one thing that you'd like to see happen in the next year? And it can cover any topic. Um, just uh, answer that question. So I look, you know, I watch YouTube once in a while and I'm going there and there's, oh my gosh, foreclosures are exploding and stuff like that. You actually kind of count them. So yeah. any, any change that's a damage, like enough to damage the no. outcome? Okay. No. In fact, uh, we're down even year over year. Oh, wow. In um, most states. Uh, Texas is the exception, up 13%. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, and we're down still from 20, or yeah, and we're down from 2019 pre-pandemic still as well. And, uh, in pretty much every state again, except Texas, Texas is up a little, but not, not yeah, substantially. Yeah. 13% is, is yeah. nothing because of the starting point is so, I, I don't, I, I don't know the Texas charts, but let's say California, you know, it represented a certain percentage of sales. Yeah. Those are, that was, those are big numbers. You know, they're 25% of 400,000 sales, 100,000 trustee sales. You're probably talking about 13% of what, a thousand going up or something? Uh, a few thousand. Yeah. So still, it's not even, it's a very small. See guys, you know, when you hear that stuff, it's really important to put it in context. If you're selling foreclosure data, you know, sometimes, you know, you can see some exaggerated articles. It's like, cause they, <laughs> they get the eyeballs. But then you go, okay, well, that's historically insignificant. So it helps to be independently capable of deciphering that. It, it's actually a real problem because we have so many people out there kind of pitching that foreclosure story. Yeah. And then folks come to our site, sign up. Oh, and, and then get, there's no foreclosures. Right. And they're like, your data's wrong. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. 
It's that, very frustrating. Yeah, that is funny. All right. Do you expect any glut of those, by the way? No, I mean, just again, back to those equity numbers, you know, 43% yeah. of home zone, free and clear, 70% equity in the overall market, and a, and a completely different policy framework. We didn't talk as, you know, as much about policy, but like our, our inflation is a result of policy, right? Like, and lack or lack of policy, and, and this is where we're pretty broken, you know. So our only tool, like you just want to figure out what's going on, you got to think about what would the Fed do? Because you don't have to worry about what will Congress do because they're not doing anything. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm concerned about the Fed in their... I think, you know, when you put out something that everybody looks at, like in 2007, they put out that GDP growth for 2008 would be 2% or something. And it was like minus four. And you're just going, okay, that's a, that's a miss, right? Mm. And you're kind of going, <laughs> what the heck? All right, enough of that. So, yeah, let's, let's start all the way at the end. You've been busy all night. Might as well go to the... <laughs> what, what's, what's the one thing that you'd like to see in the next year? Uh, um, Merle Haggard had a song called Rainbow Stew. And it's when the man goes to the White House door and does what he says he'll do, that's we'll be drinking free bubble up and eating rainbow stew. <laughs> so, uh, so I would like to see an agreement between the parties conducting fiscal policy and those conducting monetary policy to rationalize our federal budget in such a way that investors expect there to be discipline and rates come down as a result of that. Because the industry needs that. <clears throat> The odds of that? <laughs> Can I get a glass of wine? <laughs> Not great. Okay. All right. Uh, this won't happen in the next year. Is that on? Yeah. Uh, but because it's taken many, many years to get here, but I would like to see us change the minds uh, of our elected officials at the local, state, and national level and start to understand the role real estate plays in our economy. Um, Collectively, real estate is 17% of the GDP of our country, and we're not taking credit for that. Every single home sale has an economic ripple effect of an additional $247,000 in the state of California based on the median price of just over $800,000, every single home sale creates four additional jobs. And if our elected officials and regulators are doing things that don't allow us to build more housing and sell more housing, they're killing the goose that laid the golden egg. So we all need to join together and change the narrative with our elected officials. Thank you. Craig? You know, Bruce, you and I talk a lot. I've got kids and they mean the world to me. So from a a perspective of thinking about what does this look like long term, I I would like to see kind of what uh, Sean said, elect some people with a brain. Uh, Regardless of where they're at from a social policy, from a fiscal policy to actually be able to work together and make decisions that can start to recognize, you know, rates and, and the whole process that how that drives and what that does to our economy. Because... You know, when, when 
everything that my company does is focused on workforce housing and the, and, and the workforce that drives our country, it, it's hard to admit that I'm struggling to build a product that 52% of our population cannot afford because of policies that are made because of both sides of the aisle, and I, you know, I'm not trying to make the, but both sides of the aisle want to set and fight. So uh, I would like to see us collectively elect people with a brain, regardless of our social policies, regardless of color, race, who we sleep with, do something that, that, that sets our country on a policy so we're not fighting China back in, in the next decade and, and that we can actually afford to live a, a life so that my kids can do that. Well, in 2024, I'm praying and I'm going to be very optimistic that our, our, our elected officials in Sacramento and, of course, in D.C. and locally, they advance policies that reduce the costs, complexities, and delays to approving and building new housing. Secondarily, in 2024, which is really critical for us at the California Building Industry Association, is passing a school bond. Yes, we need to modernize and build new schools, but the way we do it in California is a three-pronged formula home builder fees, local district fees, and the state portion. If there is no state portion, um, home builder fees will have to increase or quadruple, which will price out a lot of folks and buy new homes. It will essentially be a moratorium on middle class housing. So passing a school bond is critically important in 2024. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'm going to go a different direction. Uh, and what I want to see this next year is, uh, you know, all of you again with uh, I survived uh, ending and Bruce retiring. You know, I look forward to this every year and getting to see everybody here and uh, being on this panel. I, I, I've been trying to figure out it was 12 or 13 years. It wasn't all the years, but uh, it's, it's been I, a lot. Really, yeah. I really appreciate you um, having me. And uh, oh, I've course. really enjoyed the, the event and uh, all my time with you and with Aaron. And, uh, and with all of you, and uh, I hope you uh, all connect with me, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, please do. Sean O'Toole, I'm pretty easy to find. And, uh, and I hope to come to a lot more of your events and the rest and, and see all of you more often. That's my uh, goal for the next Thank year. Thank you. I don't remember how often we've uh, asked this question, but I've, I think I've answered it the same way every time. And I'm still waiting for it to happen, to be honest with you. I want every elected official, Democrat or Republican, to do what's best for America, period. That's all I want. <laughs> well, we did it again. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. I hope, uh, hope it was an enjoyable and valuable night. It was it's very memorable. Thank you uh, for everything that uh, you meant to Aaron. This was his event. He's the one that dreamed this up. You know, I, I didn't dream this up. Aaron said, how about we put on an event where we pay for all the expenses and we raise money for charity? Okay, that'll work. <laughs> and it's turned out to be uh, unbelievable. And uh, I, don't, I don't know... He, he actually might have thought this out, that if we were a charity, 
that people at your level would be able to come to it because it was, you know? And so it really changed, it changed who the Norse group ended up being, right? And uh, that was amazing. So Aaron, kudos, man, that was, that was awesome. It really was. All right. Thank you, Bruce. Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right. See iSurvivedRealEstate.com for event details, information on all our generous sponsors, and to connect with our speakers. We'd also like to thank our gold sponsors, Chase Leland Photography, Fair Trade Real Estate, Inland Valley Association of Realtors, Keystone CPA, Lavis Tax Wealth Management, NorCal REA, NSDREI, Pasadena Phoebe, Property Radar, The Outspoken Investor, Tony Alvarez, White House Catering, Windermere Tower Realty, Rick and Leanne Rossiter, See iSurvivedRealEstate.com for event details. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 0121991. Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the Hard Money tab.